And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on signing day for high school players and college football. But real quick, Bruce, it's holiday season. People are going to holiday parties. Um, Speaking of Trader Joe's, pick up the jingle jangle. It's this tin, this black tin full of candies, perfect for people, you know, in a handful of candy uh, when you're mingling in the living room or having a little <clears throat> dessert after dinner. It's, uh, you know, Trader Joe's does these great seasonal items. That's that's a very popular one. By the way, speaking of, of um, seasonal, one food that I never paid attention to at all till I got to be, I don't know, probably like three years ago which now all of a sudden I snack on way too much. So every year our kids like build gingerbread houses through school. Mm-hmm. And one day I just saw one, you know, just like sitting there and I would like not eat the other stuff on it, but I actually found um, it's way more tasty than I ever expected. Gingerbread? Like, yeah. It's because of the cinnamony. I don't know. It's a snack food that I did not think at my age I would care for. And I actually do. Well, you know, people can change. Even at your advanced age, people can people can change. Uh, like we said, it's it's December 20th. It's signing day, which, in my opinion, has just gotten completely lost in the shuffle now. First, first they, you know, December became February, and then the portal overtook uh, high school signing day. But there have been a few surprises uh, starting before signing day. So Dylan Rayola is the number one rated quarterback in this class. I think up until recently, the number one overall player. First, he committed to Ohio State. Then he decommitted from Ohio State and committed to Georgia. And just in the last couple weeks, he flipped to Nebraska, where his uncle was a standout player. Um, So a lot of theories going around about what happened there. But what what do you think um, is the significance in this day and age this isn't the old days where, okay, now he's going to be a, necessarily be the Nebraska starter for four years. Who knows what will happen? But, um, I mean, Nebraska stealing away a five-star quarterback from Georgia is pretty notable. It is. Um, you know, you have, first of all, I've seen him in person a couple of times at Elite 11 events. And I will say this, a lot of times going to those, the really hyped guy usually is kind of underwhelming. In this case, both times I've seen him, he's been he has more than lived up to the hype. Like first of all, he's a very big man. He looks like he's twenty five, you know, physically. Um, the ball comes out of his hand. Really, everything's easy and smooth for him. Where a lot of times these guys go to these events, especially the Elite Eleven, where there's other touted quarterbacks and everybody's trying to make a reputation, they are like squeezing the air out of the ball. He doesn't look like he's doing that. Everything is just easy and smooth. Uh, really impressed with him. I think it's a huge pickup for for Matt Rule. Um, I don't even know what I would 
you know, because they they obviously have had some big recruits over the years come in there, but just to get a guy who is a legacy guy on top of it, um, you know, you have his uncle Donovan Rayola, who is a you know really good NFL player as well. That was the one who played at Wisconsin. Um, he's the offensive line coach there, so there's obviously family connections there. I think you have a legacy here. Um, and he's a building block. I think, you know, if you're Matt rule where it was kind of an uneven first year, right. You know, there were some good things that, you know, they didn't end quite the way you, I thought it was going to end where they could have got, you know, got to six wins. But this guy, I think signals to other recruits, um, you know, this is a, this is a destination place. And doesn't mean they're you know, he's going to go in there and tear it up, but I think he is a you know he is a headliner for them, and that's what they needed. The tricky thing about recruiting or portal talk these days is we know NIL is part of it, we know collectives are part of it, but we don't know any details. I don't know if Dylan Rayola what kind of NIL deal he got from Nebraska Collective, but I think would be naive to think it wasn't a factor. And also, uh, obviously, Georgia. I mean, his announcement that he was officially flipping was within hours, I believe, of Carson Beck announcing he's coming back for Georgia. So um, those are factors as well. The reason I bring up collectives again is I'm not sure there's a hotter team in recruiting and portal portaling right now than Oregon. Who got Dylan Gabriel uh, from Oklahoma and Dante Moore from UCLA. Dante Moore started some games as a freshman this year, struggled think the assumption is he's going to Oregon fully knowing he's going to back up uh, Dylan Gabriel for a year. And now uh, high school signing day, Oregon is flipping kids left and right. Uh, they have moved, according to James Crepio, their beat writer. They were number eight on 24-7 to start the day. They are now number four in the country. I've always been told, you know, you know, Phil Knight, Nike. Um, I'm not sure another program has benefited more from the fact that you can now legally pay college athletes well the, the big flip earlier today as we're taping this jeremiah mccullen who's a really good receiver from missouri um had been committed to ohio state they get him obviously and now they've got ryan pelham flipped from usc to oregon it's receiver the load first they loaded up on quarterbacks now they're loading up on receivers yeah, Pelham's a was a is a Long Beach kid, and I think what you see obviously Troy Franklin had a terrific uh, career there, and you know going in, I mean we haven't talked about this on the podcast. I know we talked about it, you know, uh, at the athletic, but Dylan Gabriel really really good fit for to me and Max and I have you know done our QB portal tracker. To me, he was the top quarterback out there because. He is get, gets the ball out of his hand fast. He's very accurate. He can run, and he's a good fit for what they do. I mean, he's a, he makes good decisions. He's very football savvy. And I think, you know, there's other guys that are probably maybe physically bigger, certainly, um, maybe have stronger arms, but I'm not sure they're, they're as accurate. I don't know if they get the ball out as quick, and he's played a ton of football. And the idea that you're going to get there, I mean, their quarterback situation you know, I know we we kind of talked about the Heisman the other day, and this is not the right prism for it, but I'll use it. You know, who would be like strong Heisman contenders for 2024? Dylan Gabriel in that offense, to me, jumps in to be a Heisman favorite. 
one of the Heisman favorites for the 2024 season because I know what they have coming back and I know how he fits. Uh, if he's as good as you said, I mean, he statistically like he's the only one, by the way, who beat Texas this year, Stu. Correct. I mean, like I'm the only one who's thinking he's really good. Why then? I'm just being devil's advocate here. Why then was there a feeling around Oklahoma of it's not the end of the world if he leaves because we have Jackson Arnold? Because I think, and knowing the Elite 11 guys, um, how much everybody thinks of Jackson Arnold, yeah. that he is a really special quarterback prospect. It's so hard to know now. I mean, there were five five-star quarterbacks in the class of 23. Well, and and Malachi Nelson, other than Arch Manning, Malachi Nelson, I, I believe, was the highest rated of them. And he's gone from USC after a year where it was clear they were going to recruit over him. Uh, Dante Moore, obviously, leaving. Um, I say all this because I know why there's all this excitement over Rayola, but I just feel like nowadays, you know, like Trevor Lawrence was a high, five, highly hyped five-star who played exactly that way once he got to college. Bryce Young, um, you know, we can name several of those guys. But we can also name several five-star quarterbacks who barely played it down. Uh, in college football, they played and they weren't as good as they as people thought they were. Quinn Ewers to me is somewhere in between. He um, he's led his team to the college football playoff, right? He's doing exactly what he was recruited to do. But you had a you know we're going to talk about this a little bit later. You had your anonymous scouting reports have gone up on three of the playoff teams, and the coaching co opposing coach comments on Quinn Ewers were like, I don't I don't think he's you know as good as the hype. He's good, but not as good as the hype. And he was. I remember the Ari Wasserman story at the time, the, you know, had a perfect score uh, among the 24 seven analysts. So it's just so hard to predict. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, I think the hit rate is all over the board. There's some that, you know, Caleb was a five-star Drake may were five stars. Those guys absolutely lived up to it. Um, and then there's other guys where maybe they needed to, you know, it didn't work out for them at the first place. And then they end up, you know, going somewhere else and maybe they play like a four star or whatever. Um, but it's definitely, you know, you go back. I remember one of the guys who was really hyped and was big and strong and just, you know, you could see where he would, you know, people get enamored by him like Jacob Eason, right? Where mm -hmm. like there's guys who are measurable guys. There's guys who like light it up on the seven on seven circuit. Um, you know, it was the JT Daniels of the world who come from big programs and have played at a high level, but just, I mean, it's such an inexact science. And I think in the case of Malachi Nelson, I definitely know from some, some people, you know, in Southern California really plugged in, especially on the, on the California high school football scene who are like, yeah, I don't know. This one has the potential where. You know, ESPN and their recruiting rankings had him as the number one overall recruit in the entire country. You know, you go back, this is back when I was doing the QB book. At one point, another Southern California quarterback, Ricky Town, was also the number one recruit in the entire country, not just quarterback recruit. And obviously, his career in college did not go that direction. You know, sometimes it does. You know, like obviously we mentioned Caleb, we mentioned Drake May, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, there's... Like, I feel like there's usually not a lot of in between. It's Sam, so in the 2021 class, uh, it was Quinn Ewers was number one. Obviously, he reclassified to get there. Caleb Williams was number two. Sam Heward was number three. Sam Heward is now at 
Cal Poly, correct? Correct. Um, then Drake May was behind him. And then Brock Vandegrift, who recently, uh, after, what, three years as a backup at Georgia, has now transferred to Kentucky. I'm going to read to you the top eight quarterback rated quarterbacks in what was a really top heavy class. Number one, Bryce Young, obviously, absolutely that. Number two, the number two overall rated player in that class, DJ Uyunglele. Been good. You, it's, he's, he's started a lot of college football games, but I don't think you would say he's had a five-star career. No. C.J. Stroud, absolutely. Now, C.J. Stroud, this is where the rankings are a little – you need context. C.J. Stroud was became that guy for a long time. You know, they, when most of these quarterbacks are committing, he was not rated as that guy. He blew up at the opening. Uh, number four, this is a name that I don't think you will, you know, throw you for a loop. Evan Prater. Cincinnati. Evan Prater. I remember him. He never got the job at Cincinnati, did he? Number five, Quindon Jackson, Texas. Number yes. six, Hudson Card, Texas. Now, these guys, you're getting to a level now where they're not five-star, right? They're just the top-rated No, guy. they but they were all, and the last one who was a top-100 recruit, Malik Hornsby, and he was ranked number 99. Um, but that, like, that shows you, I mean, those guys are all considered top hundred recruits and it just shows you how, um, how tricky it is to, to do the rankings. Like I, you know, I think it's so with that in mind and with your, you know, uh, uh, elite 11 connections, let's look at the ones in this year's class and see if we might be able to project a little bit. Okay. As we said, number one, Dylan Riola. You feel pretty good about him? I do. I, I just was very, very impressed. Now, he's not going into a place where he's going to have this the weapons that you would have if you're the quarterback at Ohio State. But, yes, I think he's big time. Number two, quarterback. Number four, overall prospect in the country, DJ Lagway, who's going to – he hasn't actually officially signed yet, but has been committed for some time to Florida. Yeah, the parts I saw of him were were okay. I, I mean – he was good. I don't remember. Like there was probably like four or five guys that I saw that really caught my eye, and some other guys. It doesn't mean that they're not good players. It just didn't, you know, it just didn't resonate the same way to me. Number three, Julian Sayan from Carlsbad, California, Clean, Alabama. Or four, yeah. I was Julian Sayan was slinging it around. I was very impressed with him. Number four, Luke Cromenhook who is from Savannah, Georgia, and is going to Florida State. I believe Luke was one of the ones who who really rocketed up. He was not rated like that before. He was impressive there. Number five, a uh, famous last name, CJ Carr, grandson of Lloyd Carr. Uh, surprised some that he chose Notre Dame instead of Michigan. He's already there. I've seen pictures of him practicing uh, at Notre Dame. Your thoughts? Liked him. Um, you know, I think there was he was one where I feel like he got better as as that camp went on. Maybe the first day wasn't as smooth. I'm trying to remember, but like you know, he kept on, you know, I think everybody feels very good about him. And then Aaron Noland, uh, from Fairburn, Georgia, Ohio State. Um liked him, you know, I thought you know, to me, it's interesting because 
you know, I thought there was definitely some good things and I could see him being a really good fit. Honestly, you know, he was committed to Ohio state. And I was like, Oh, this guy has a chance to do some, you know, big things there. I think Ohio state is in an interesting situation right now because we got so used to them just moving from one superstar quarterback to the next, but with Kyle McCord transferring, you're down to Devin Brown, who will start in the Cotton Bowl against Missouri. We'll get to see what he's all about. You've got Aaron Nolan coming in. And then we assume, but it hasn't happened yet, that Ryan Day will get somebody out of the portal. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. Because I don't know, like, from everything that we've heard that, you know, the, one of the biggest quarterback names left in the portal is Cameron Ward from Wazoo. And... You know, it, it, as we're taping this, it felt like what we're hearing is it's Miami or the NFL draft for him. Um, you know, Florida State, he visited. I I had heard some Ohio State chatter. I don't know if, how we haven't heard much of that lately. Um, and he the, he may be leaning to go into the NFL draft, even if he'd be a, you know, a fourth round pick. So if you're Ryan Day at this point, do you maybe hold off? Wait till after the spring, see, you know, kind of things like, are developing. I know they like Devin Brown quite a bit. They're intrigued by him. So does that mean you have more confidence in him than what you think you could get out of the portal? I don't know. It seemed like Ryan Day really wanted it to be a legit two-guy competition last year between him and McCord. But um, Brown was hurt and missed spring practice and kind of put him behind the eight ball there. So... Um, anyway, a little bit, a little bit in flux there. Hey, uh, two other guys, since, you know, we talked about this two quarterbacks that I was very interested, you know, very impressed by back in the lead 11 circuit, Hoss Haney, great name. He is a really dynamic athlete. Who's, who's from Texas. I think he led his school to a state championship committed to TCU and he's not that big, but he was very impressive. Um, and the other one that I was impressed by um Colin Hurley who's who's like really young but he looks like physically he's a big kid he's from Florida he's headed to LSU I thought he was very good you know I think he's like one a name to remember for down the road anything else from signing day uh that stands out to you I know that Georgia flipped uh Georgia's gonna finish with the number one class again uh and kind of rounding out the day for them was that they were able to flip uh, KJ Bolden from Florida State? Um, no, I think you know a lot of this has been expected. Ohio State, you know, holding on to Jeremiah Smith, who is widely considered not just the number one recruit in the country, but also probably the best receiver to come out of South Florida in a long time. And I can't tell you how how heavy that kind of praise is because South Florida cranks out receivers, elite receivers almost differently than anybody else. And you can just look at some of the guys who've gone to, to Alabama in the last decade. Um, that's a huge win for Ryan day where, you know, like we mentioned, he lost another, you know, he lost a receiver earlier, but to keep him, I think a lot of people thought he was either going to go to Florida state or Miami. Um, and he had a bunch of teammates and buddies going to Miami. So that was that was significant. Um, you know, we got to see. I, I think there's some other potential drama that's out there. But well, I think I know what you're hinting at, and 
it's kind of a bigger story. Uh, obviously, part of the Deion Sanders mystique, or or what we thought would be, is oh, he's just going to be the most amazing recruiter, right? Like high school kids aren't going to be able to say no to him. Well, we know he's gone heavily in the portal direction. Um, he only has six commitments as of this recording. Six commitments, high school commitments in the class of 2024. And one of them, the biggest one of all, Jordan Seaton, five-star offensive lineman, has not actually signed yet amidst rumblings. This will be out of date one way or the other soon, but amidst rumblings, he may flip. Uh, is Dion just intentionally saying we're just going to build our whole roster with current players, portal players, or is he just not able to recruit high school players? I don't think it's not that he's able to recruit high school players. It was interesting that a couple of weeks ago we reported that his top recruiter on the staff was a defensive ends coach who had been a Georgia guy, and he was going with Fran Brown to Syracuse. And I believe that guy, Nick Williams, had – I think they had maybe eight commits, and he had he had been the primary recruiter for most of them. Um, but, look, the truth is – Dion needs guys who can come in and play now. And he has done, they have done well getting some guys who have a lot of seasoning on the offensive line, especially a bunch of guys who are transfers who played at the FBS level and started and started multiple years. And as you know, that's what they desperately need because Shador will not survive as a, yeah. you know, not be able to stay upright with the offensive line they had. They need to get better. Now he got, you know, um, a few other big time uh, defensive players, including one from LSU, was a former top hundred or accrued defensive lineman, and they need more of. They just need a ton in the trenches, and I think he's getting some of that. Again, I mean, with the with Shador and the skill guys they have, if they can upgrade the offensive line and get those guys in for spring ball, so they can have some cohesiveness. New offensive line coach Phil Lodeholt, who comes from you know been at Oklahoma, was a former OU player. I think that's the thing that they need most. I mean, I don't think it's any secret this they were they were I don't want to say historically bad, but they were just so bad up front. And to me, you know, getting that like Seaton sounds like he has the athleticism and and size where he was going to, you know, wherever he goes, he'd probably be competing for a starting job. You know, Miami had two five similarly guys, five-star offensive linemen. One um you know, ended up starting the year at right tackle and was a terrific freshman. The other one, Samson Okolona, didn't play much. Uh, but that doesn't, you know, it's it's a tricky position. It's not like you're going to come in and hit the ground running like you could at some other spots. Colorado on 24-7 does have the number one rated portal class right now. I realize it's early and highly unscientific, but um, they have 16 portal commitments already. That is definitely the most uh, remember last year it ended up in the fifties. I don't think he's turning over the roster quite to that extent this year, but, but they have um, good players like one of my freaks list guys, one of the best D linemen who was in the AAC and one of the better D linemen in the big 12, Chidozi Wonko. Uh, he's a uh, really explosive, just short nose tackle. And I think that guy will, you know, that guy will be a big player for them. Yeah. I mean, Ole Miss, I think has kind of, stolen the headlines in the transfer class so far. They've done really well, but yeah, according to this formula, it's Colorado one, Ole Miss two. Um, another topic we wanted to address, uh, you and Antonio Morales did a really good and interesting story uh, earlier this week on The Athletic of what the heck went wrong with USC this year? 
that was just a total implosion, and it can't be just as simple as the defense stinks. So why don't you take people through a little bit some of the main takeaways you got from the interviews you did for that story? Yeah, it it, it it's way more it's way more involved than just oh the defensive coordinator didn't work out. One of the things we heard from some of the coaches we spoke to faced them was it was wildly undisciplined team in all sorts of ways. And it's certainly in defense. And I'm going to read you one quote, which I think sort of encapsulates a lot of things. Quote, it was like a bunch of mercenaries trying to get their own stats. They were all over the place. You toss it outside and you'd see got their guys going all over the place. So undisciplined. It was unbelievable. You had no idea what they were trying to get done. Guys in the wrong gaps, three guys in one gap, you know, no guys in another. It just, I think it speaks to, uh, you bring in a ton of transfers and what are you bringing in? You know, guys may get stats and may flash, but if they're not, defense is, is more than anything about playing together. And that's something that USC just really was not able to do. And then it's spread into a lot of other things where, you know, one of the coaches had said, look, I thought USC has always prided itself in being so physical. That's something they, they hang their hat on. Mm -hmm. This team was not like that at all. We thought they were going to come downhill on us. That's what Oregon was trying to, you know, knock us around. These guys didn't even try to. And I think, if you're a USC fan, if you're a longtime USC fan, I think that's the, that's a gut punch in itself. Because if you're not even trying to be physical, because either you missed on a bunch of transfers on the offensive line, which I think they did, um, it it leaves a mark. Because also, you know, this came up a, a little bit as well, was like, it's now going to be year three for Lincoln Riley, and he's basically starting all over. And... He did really well in year one. I know that they had defensive issues, which kept them from being a playoff team. And Caleb and Jordan Addison and Travis Dye masked a lot of that. But then this year, they were a seven-win team, and they probably could have lost a couple of other games there. And, you know, even, you know, like, there's just a lot of other stuff. Like one of the coaches brought this up and another coach had echoed it where it was like, you see them in pregame and they're walking around like they're an AAU basketball team. And people are like, oh, well, they did that. They looked that way last year and it worked out fine. It was like, yeah, when your culture is is not exactly fully formed or it's not a cohesive look or cohesive thing, it's the thing where that can start to fall apart when things go against you. And, you know, another coach made the point when you go all in on the portal and have a portal heavy team, especially if you're on like Hollywood, there's a lot of distractions there. And it's maybe easier to manage when you're in a college town where there aren't all those distractions. So, you know, I, I again, for people who haven't read it, I read the story. I thought Antonio, you know, because I worked with him on it and Antonio really uh, wrote the piece and he spent a lot of time talking to Lincoln Riley and he has his sources inside the program as well. I think it's a really good window into when things go bad and why they go bad. Uh, you know, there was one of the, one of the PAC 12 offensive coordinators told me, he was like, I played against Alex Grinch defenses before they were not this unsound, you know? So, hmm. you know, it was like people can point and go, Oh, they had this guy who was a five-star and this guy was whatever coming in. 
yeah, they may have a lot of talent, but are they buying into playing team defense? Because if not, they may put up some numbers, but they, you know, we talked about like Bear Alexander was a guy who flashes on film. He was a former five-star recruit from Georgia. But when they lost to Utah, he had two critical personal foul penalties that really cost them. And that's the stuff, you know, that's the stuff when you lose games. You know, one thing that that I don't think was people realized in the time, certainly I didn't, but that 2022 team that won 11 games, got the Pac-12 championship game, had a pretty favorable schedule Pac-12-wise. They did not play Oregon or Washington. Um, it flipped this past year, and lo and behold, they went 7-5. and five. In terms of the transfers, that term mercenaries is, is a pretty um, strong word. But, you know, I think the teams that have had the most success building with the portal, and that Florida State comes to mind, are doing it with guys who they held on to for several years, who weren't like rent-a-players for one year. And I think a lot of these USC guys, I mean, look, Jordan Addison's phenomenal, right? But nobody was under any delusion he was going to be there more than one year. Um, some of these guys were probably in a rush to get to the NFL. Like, I'm going to play well at USC and be off the NFL as soon as possible. So, I mean, I think... And I think chemistry is is a real thing, a real thing in college football. So it's not like you can't re recruit transfers. Like plenty of teams are doing that and having success. But I think Lincoln Riley has to figure out what the right balance is there. And by the way, speaking of the portal, it's now going in the opposite direction for USC. They've had in the last, I just feel like the last few days, some of their biggest name recruits of the last couple of years, Corey Foreman, Damani Jackson, uh, are leaving the program. Now, neither of those guys performed up to their five-star billing. Corey Foreman didn't even play this year. Damani Jackson is a young player, but and he's super fast, but he struggled a lot. Now he's yeah. a young Corey Foreman didn't even, you know, he was registering. He, like he's, you know, we'll see what he had he, a way to go. Tackett Curtis, though, played um, I think he started many games this year as a freshman linebacker. So I think, you know, and you're seeing the same similar thing at AM, granted with a coaching change, that famous uh, highest ranked class of all time in 2022 um, is eroding, which a lot of us wondered what would happen, you know, when they signed all those dudes. Evan Stewart being, you know, about as big a name as came out of that class, um, now transferring. Uh, Walter Nolan was, I think, the highest ranked. He's the highest ranked uh, transfer currently out there. So he might have been the number one player in that entire class. But again, there's a coaching change there. There's, there's, it's a little more understandable. I definitely concerned that Lincoln Riley, as you said, two years in is kind of having to, to start from scratch. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, you've been very busy, Bruce. You've also been working on these scouting reports of the playoff teams. And the first three have gone up, uh, Michigan, Alabama, and Texas. Highly encourage people to go on The Athletic and read them. The Michigan-Alabama thing fascinates me, and I wrote about it in the mailbag today. Um, from a, So somebody asked me in the mailbag, why is nobody giving Michigan a chance to beat Alabama? And I'm like, what do you mean nobody? Like the Vegas. line is Mich- Vegas is giving them a chance. They set the line at, at Michigan one and a half and it's barely moved. So, you know, if, if everybody was betting Alabama, it would have moved by now. So clearly a lot of people are giving them a chance. But the coaches, you know, they kind of got it both ways. Like in your Michigan scouting report, the Big Ten coaches kind of dump on them. And leading some to wonder, is that because there's some sour grapes about the science? They definitely brought up science stealing. And then, the not surprisingly, the SEC coaches all think Alabama is going to win. Um, 
you've been on the Michigan bandwagon since the preseason after talking to all these people who pretty much overwhelmingly sided with Alabama. Have you, has your opinion changed at all? Not really. I think there's, you know, one of the head coaches I talked to basically said this, which was there's kind of three reasons for the drop in performance, especially from the offense and JJ McCarthy. And the first is the schedule is way backloaded. If you look at who they played over the last month, the bulk of it when Jim Harbaugh was not the head coach in the games was Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa. Those are the the other three best top-rated defenses in the country. He wasn't seeing anything of that caliber before that. They weren't seeing anything. So there's that. The other part is in the beginning of that stretch, they played Penn State. Not only did he get um, the right tackle at Michigan, got overwhelmed a couple times by really gifted edge rushers at Penn State, two of them. And that was the game where they ran it like 30 times in a row. It's also the game where J.J. McCarthy was hobbled a little bit. So word was getting around the Big Ten that he was he was playing banged up a little bit. And that showed. And then the third part, which is the part that I think has especially riled up Michigan fans, and I get why, is that more than a couple of the coaches I talked to all thought, you know what, maybe this is factored into – they don't have the answers to the test anymore like they did before. And so J.J. was operating with more confidence because he knew when the blitz was coming and maybe where the blitz was coming from. And those kinds of things can matter. Um, so to answer your question, I still think it's a really, really good defensive line. It's a really, really good defense. I think they have really good running backs. Some of the coaches I talked to did not think Blake Corum was as explosive as he was before the injury. Um, the stats do kind of hint at that. Um, the offensive line, which they say is, is good, but not as good as it was last year, keep in mind, they did have a significant injury. The best offensive line they had, Zach Sinter, he got hurt, is out for the rest of the season, got hurt in the Ohio State game. Now, what I do think they have is I think the receiving core is probably better than than some of the coaches think. And I think part of that is Colston Loveland is a guy who could be a matchup problem. And he can, you know, as good as the best thing Alabama has is their secondary. Two terrific cornerbacks, Caleb Downs, safety's playing really well. I still think Michigan can give them some problems because when you talk to, when I talk to, uh, SEC coaches especially, but coaches who played Alabama, they don't think this is a great Alabama defensive front. Mm -hmm. Dallas Turner can get after people on third downs, but there's no Quinn and Williams up front. There's not. And Michigan still has a really good offensive line. They are prepared to grind people out. And I do think, you know, if J.J. is close to 100% with his wheels, J.J. can really run. Is he quite as fast as Milrow? Probably not. Milrow's the fastest guy on the Alabama team is from what I was told, but he's still really fast. And I think, you know, he makes plays, he extends, you know, he picks up third downs. Um, I think this team is very resilient. They're really tough and they're, you know, I don't, you know, one thing I've heard and it's come out and this is, you know, mentioned in our story um, was will Jim Harbaugh adjust to how he manages the team and practices to get them ready for a bowl game? 
because he's lost six games in a row and they played really poorly last year against TCU in a game that I think most of us expected them to win. And from what I've heard, he has made some adjustments. And so, um, you know, I'm leaning towards what Vegas is leaning towards. I know that, you know, I know what the coaches have said, but I also think, you know, especially on, on the big 10 side, they saw, they were sitting on their couches to watch the big, to watch, um, the SEC title game. And they saw Alabama beat Georgia. And that was the biggest win anybody's had off all season. Most of them did not see any of Alabama looking really bad and Auburn running all over them. Yeah. We're not watching that game. They probably were not watching earlier in the year when some of the struggles that they had and they had big struggles. So I think, I think some of those guys are sitting there thinking, all right, I know what Alabama looks like, but Alabama, you know, Nick Saban knows what give Kirby smart problems in the defense, you know, on defense because they're, they have the same defensive family and some of the same, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. So, you know, I think Georgia is a much better matchup for them than a lot of other teams are because of, because of where they come from and how they're built. So, you know, again, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why the coaches feel the way they feel and speak about them the way they spoke about them. I think like if you're focusing solely on personnel and X's and O's and all that, you can talk yourself into either team. And frankly, probably there's less question marks about Michigan than there is about Alabama. My hold up why I don't can't pick Michigan or frankly anybody to beat Alabama is the track record. And I, I just, you know, the definition definition of insanity is uh same thing over and over again, expecting it to go differently. Uh, here's some stats I have in, in the mailbag today. SEC teams are 14 and three against non-SEC teams in the college football playoffs. So throwing out like when they played each other, including eight straight since LSU's 2019 run. Big 10 teams in the playoff, three and six. And Ohio State with all three of those wins. Nick Saban, if you give him a month or more to prepare for a postseason game. So that's BCS championship games and now CFP semifinals, 10 and one. The only one loss being Ohio State in 2014. So I just feel like I've seen this movie so many times. We try to talk ourselves into the SEC's down. This isn't Nick Saban's best team, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then the same thing happens once they actually get out on the field. So also, I think Alabama did get a lot better over the course of the season. And, you know, you said that the coaches didn't see them struggle early in the season. I'm not sure how relevant that is to well, but, what but you're going to see out there this 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 in the playoffs. So. But that's like, but the week before they played Georgia, they really could have lost, and it's not a very good Auburn team. I I know I realize that I see that. I just think weird things happen in the Iron Bowl. It doesn't concern me as much um, as maybe it does some people. I just think if you look back at Alabama's season, the first half of the season they were not very good. There, there's just no way around. Not only did they lose a game, but they just looked absolutely awful against South Florida. Um, they did beat Ole Miss in that stretch. Uh, they struggled against AM. They struggled against Arkansas. But then starting with the October 21st Tennessee game, they came, they they put themselves in a hole and then came roaring back against them, beat them by 14, beat LSU by 14. Doesn't concern you that they gave up 250 rushing yards to, to Auburn? Concerns me, yes. But again, like, I mean, their 2017 team flat out lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl and was the four seed and got in there and won the, like we've just seen Saban do this over and over. I mean, let's not, I don't know if there's some recency by like 
he doesn't usually go undefeated. I think only two of his national championship teams have gone undefeated. I, I mean, know. Think, the, think the, of the team that lost. The 2017 the, team you were talking about with Auburn won 10 games. That team that they played got blown out by New Mexico State at home. I don't think it's the, it's like the same. No, it's definitely not the same. Um, no, I think of the 2015 Alabama team that, that lost uh, to Ole Miss and gave up a lot of points to Ole Miss. And all season, like people thought, okay, this isn't one of his better teams. And they won the national championship. So, it, you know, I'm not ruling anything out. Michigan beats what Alabama. Michigan beats Alabama. Freeze was the play caller at, for Michigan this week. Because that's what you basically have just walked into. You mean because Hugh Freeze has given him so many fits? Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. There's a there's a common thread there. Um, no, I mean it's absolutely possible. Michigan. The other thing that's just hard is like Michigan hasn't. They didn't play any Power Five teams in the last two seasons out of conference. So the only thing you have to go by is those playoff games where they got crushed by Georgia and then lost to TCU. So they can win. They can absolutely win. But it's going to be. They're going to have to do something that they haven't done, and that frankly, only one you know Big Ten team has done against Alabama the entire time Saban's been there. Let's get to the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Stu and Bruce from uh, Ian McFarland, La Cañada, California. Stu and Bruce, a late happy Hanukkah to you both. I hope you and your families enjoy the holiday season before work starts up again for you both in earnest. Thank you, Ian. Kalen DeBoer is 24-2 at Washington, a mind-boggling 103-11 career as a head coach, and has been named National Coach of the Year by everyone but the University of Oregon student newspaper. I'm obviously in the bag for him, but regardless, um, where do you guys see him falling in your coach rankings in 2024? A little, little early, uh, early peek into what we might be doing in March. No, this is a good question. Have you thought about this before you saw this question? I mean, well, I just would automatically say without even doing a second of research, he will be in the top 10. It's just like, where in the top 10 will he be? Because he's absolutely right. Like this, he won at Fresno State. He's wanting, he, he won an NIA. He won at Fresno State. He's winning big at Washington. And you and I have both raved about, I mean, some of the play calls, some of the decisions, some of the direct coaching decisions that have, you know, allowed them to have this kind of success. Like, I absolutely think he's one of the best coaches in the country. Yes, I will say that. Where am I going to put him? Um, I would be inclined to put him in the top six. There's there's another coach who I would also put in the top six who is in my top ten, but at ten, and that's Lance Leipold. I think I would have... DeBoer in the top six with with Leipold, obviously Saban, Kirby Smart, Jim Harbaugh, and Dabo. Um, guys that I would definitely still keep ahead of him: Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Not sure about Dabo. We'll think about that when the time comes. Um, Brian Kelly, Harbaugh, and after that. I'm not saying he will come in right after that, but there's nobody after that that I'm like, definitely not. So, you know, it's interesting. When you look at these, there's always somebody who, when you go to do it the next year, like, oof, how did I have this guy so high to begin with? But I know why I had him so high, but I have a feeling I'm going to have to drop him quite a bit. Lincoln Riley was number five in my rankings last year. Uh, Lincoln Riley was high on my list too. I don't think he was quite as high. He was probably seven maybe. I think the hard part with, and Ryan Day 
kind of gets this too, but Lincoln Riley was seven, yeah, was seven, which is he took over for Bob Stoops. Now he was a really good assistant for Bob Stoops. He took over at Oklahoma and that thing was, was, you know, he did a great job with quarterbacks, but I think it's different when you're starting from scratch and same thing with Ryan, you know, I think Ryan's a really good offensive coach and he's done a really good job as a head coach, but he took the best things that urban Meyer had. I know, you know, like I get, you know, I got a ton of pushback of having James Franklin above them when, when those guys are beating him, but James Franklin wasn't taking like, you know, he didn't take over for somebody that where it was rolling. And again, Kalen DeBoer, you know, Jimmy Lake, really struggled and that program had fallen apart and that guy's 11 and one all time against top 25 opponents you know and it wasn't like he took over programs that were that were on top of the world so that's why i have him there i mean Leipold, we've talked a lot about you know i mean that guy's like you know i hate to use the term miracle worker when it comes to college football coaches but look what he's doing at kansas and look what he keeps doing wherever he goes you know i don't know how many you know like some of the other guys you know, I think they would do well at other places. Like we know what Harbaugh did at Stanford. Stanford was was terrible when he got there. But the rest of the ones we're talking about, I'm not sure they could do as well. I will at least give myself credit for writing this line in the Lincoln Riley blurb at the end. But number five could be his ceiling on this list, even for a career 835 coach, until he can field a team with a decent defense. Truer words never spoken. Um, Mike from Boston, huge fan of the show for many years. Vandy has had three big moves this week. Uh, it's not often we get to talk about Vandy football, Bruce. They hired Tim Beck from New Mexico State as offensive coordinator, landed former Utah QB Nate Johnson in the portal, and are rumored to have hired Matt Ballas, former Notre Dame head strength coach, to fill the same role. Thoughts on these moves? Bruce, you once wrote an excellent article about Johnson after he competed in the Elite 11. Uh, Nate Johnson is one of the fastest quarterbacks in the country, no doubt. We will see if he fits his system better and as he kind of keeps developing as a passer and reading defenses. Um, you know, our colleague Joe Rexrow did an interesting story a couple of weeks back on Vandy and how people have really committed to ramping up the resources around that program. It's an interesting time for them because that is a really really tough job no secret and i think you know again we were just talking about the top the you know top 25 coaching rankings and again james franklin won one there and got him in the top 25 nobody's gotten close since then and clark lee has had a very i mean i don't know it's like you know he's from there i i could understand and keep in mind you know, we talked about um, Lance Leipel. Lance Leipel interviewed for the job, interviewed well, but ultimately they went with the guy who played football there is from Nashville, made a lot of sense, was a was a rising star um, assistant. But so far he has two and 22 in three SEC seasons. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to... to I think it's hard to believe that you're going to see a big improvement. I know some of those other things are positives, but man, that's an uphill climb there right now. You know how every coach comes in and right, you know, they're undefeated and the excitement is high and there's always something, you know, this is, this isn't going to go back a long ways, but you and I used to have a, 
long before I even heard the word meme, a meme about puke buckets. Yeah. There'd always be a coach who took over. My, it was from Mike Stoops. Yeah. Somebody always wrote the story about how, how much harder the guys are working. He's got them working so much harder than the last guy to the point where they had to put up puke buckets all around the weight room. Anyway, a more recent and, and more innocent example I think of is when Jeff Collins got to Georgia Tech. His whole big thing was Waffle House. I'm, I'm so Atlanta. Uh, you know, I, I go to Waffle House every day. And it's like, well, that didn't turn out to be any indicator of him being able to be a good football coach or head, head coach. Um, you know, when Clark Lee got there, he made such a big deal out of, you know, hand, handling recruiting and evaluation completely differently, right? And they hired Barton Simmons, 24-7's top recruiting guy, to work in the football. If we're going to do this a different way, we're going to, I mean, we know we can't beat a lot of these schools head-to-head, -head, uh, you know, for the big-name recruits, but we're just going to be kind of money ball, right? We're going to... And Barton, you know, like, to, you know, to for context... Like Barton played at Yale. He's from there, New Clark Lee. He is really smart. And I think he was very good at what he did. And I think that was probably a wise hire. It's just haven't we just haven't seen the, the dividends yet. Like, our job. They've also lose they've also lost some really good players in the portal in the last couple of years who, you know, have gone on to other places. You're like, ooh, that guy was a you know, like they've a, they've had some really good players. It's hard to keep them. And now maybe like as Rex Road story indicated um maybe they'll be able to keep more of them yeah well i always like to see them do well uh mitch light our our one of our editors recruiting guy uh diehard vandy guy eric single another one of our editors like you know when vandy does well our our, our editor staff is happy so uh i hope they get it figured out by the way uh, maybe not for the podcast i just never mind this is not for the podcast keep going um, here's kind of a technical question from Chris in Seattle, uh, he, regarding transfer portal players. When can these players actually start practicing playing with their new teams? Is it when a school term starts or is it immediately? Could some of these guys transferring in December play in a bowl game if it was after the start of the new semester? Example, UCLA winter quarter begins on January 3rd. If UCLA was in the playoffs and made it to the championship game on January 8th, could their transfers play in that game? Um, the answer is No. But I'm not entirely. You, I'm not sure. I fully understand the rule. Why do you? I don't know because I mean, you definitely remember recruits who can practice when they're already there, but it's different from competition and games. Um, I can't think of an example that would fit into that. Uh, so you're absolutely right about practice. I famously remember Jalen Hurts uh, getting there to Alabama in time to to be the scout team version of Deshaun Watson, uh, leading up to that year's champ championship game uh, and like i said earlier there's there's already pictures of cj Carr at notre dame's bowl practices and, and this was even before he officially signed his letter of intent i do know the reason the rule is you have to be enrolled at school at the start of the season so for example you may remember this is like a story for a week uh during the season clemson uh Dabo swinney convinced a, a, a guy who used to be his kicker who was, you know, left Clemson and and was for, school or something because it was in business, was was getting ready to take a job on Wall Street. But he was enrolled in online classes at Clemson and therefore eligible to join the team midseason and, and play. That's different than somebody enrolling in the middle of the season or after the season's already started. So, no, you cannot play uh, in the bowl game or in the playoff. Um 
you, but you can practice, you can practice with the team. And the interesting thing about that is some of these, you know, bowls that aren't as important, um, they almost become like a head start on spring practice. Like they can, some of these early enrollee guys can, um, start getting real reps, uh, in December instead of having to wait till March or April. Yes. All right. Uh, Last thing we got, you know, what was it? Two, two weeks ago now, week and a half ago before Chris Peterson replaced me. Um, we were talking about just when did the Heisman lose its prestige? When, when did it, it used to be such a big deal all season long, the TV ratings for the ceremony way down. And so a lot of people sent in some very thoughtful emails. Um, 2009 came up a lot in terms of when Dominic and Sue finished fourth, people kind of, um, lost faith in the process, a couple other things, but I thought Nolan from Iowa, here's a very succinct and good point. When talking about the Heisman ceremony, I don't think the award has lost its significance. I believe the coverage of it has. Me personally, I don't care to watch ESPN and the cheesy stories and the coverage of it all. Add on to the fact that in the past 10 years, having a smartphone has become so common that I can wait until the coverage is over and get an alert on my phone as to who won. I don't need to suffer through an hour of ESPN's coverage in order to find out who won it when they win it. Uh, can't argue with that, Bruce. Um, I... It's it's a, an hour of I mean it's no no offense to Chris Fowler does a great job hosting it, ESPN's producers I'm sure put in a lot of hard work, but it is kind of 45 minutes of can we just get to the award already? Yeah, I I get it. Um, I'm not not going to disagree with that either. So yeah, and and yeah, I mean ultimately like in 1997, uh, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, one that we talked about, you absolutely had to watch that show to find out who won. So. Um, that is probably that has at least made a big difference in the TV ratings, but I still think that the whole season leading up to it, people just don't talk about or care as much about the Heisman. Um, next week we will come back uh, on the twenty seventh, and that's when things really get cranking when we get to some of the really good ball games. Um, uh, I know that I will I will be joining you in L.A. for the Rose Bowl. I will be getting there on the 29th. So looking forward to that. But in the meantime, enjoy Christmas. Enjoy some downtime, everybody. And we'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?